Institute, it's Commercial Currents, the podcast, a show about small business on Maine's islands and coast, where we share the power of community and creativity through the voices of small business owners and those who partner with us. I'm your host, Claire Donnelly. And today's show is part one of conversations about the lobster industry. Today, I'm chatting with Dave Cousins, a commercial fisherman. And next episode, I chat with Merritt Carey, the Community Relations Director at Luke's Lobster. Dave is a small business owner and a commercial fisherman with more than 40 years of experience and has been extremely active in the lobster industry. He served as the president of the Maine Lobstermen's Association for 18 years and currently sits on the board at the Island Institute. Dave is also a full-time fisherman in the midst of a decent fall fishing season, so it was hard to pin him down for this interview. He just kept telling me to wait for a bad weather window. So when I got the word that Hurricane Teddy was headed our way, I jumped on the chance to get Dave on the phone. He was taking the day off, despite the weather not being as bad as predicted. No, I just talked to the guys out at Creehaven. One of them stayed out there. He said it was pretty rough last night. It's still rough, but it's it's calming down, so... Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad that it worked out and we could get you on the phone. Um, So I just went back and I listened to the Let's Talk Lobster panel that we hosted back in June. You were on it with a couple other industry folks. And I have to say, it was not an uplifting discussion about the fate of the industry. Specifically looking into the summer, everyone was really concerned about the market for lobsters with all these restaurants being closed and the cruise ships not running. So um, I'm just curious, how did everything shake out for you? Well, I'm feeling a lot better than I was then, actually. It turned out better than than we we thought. We didn't think we'd have much market. We didn't think we'd have hardly any price. And we were really worried about being able to just make enough money to pay some bills. Um, The market seems a lot stronger than everyone thought. I think retail grocery store was huge. I think the dealers pushed a lot of lobsters to the retail stores. I think people knew we were in trouble and a lot more people bought lobsters. Uh, the tourist industry wasn't as strong as it usually is, but they found a market, the dealers found a market for them. So I congratulate them. The price obviously is not as high as it was last year, but it's come up from where it was in, you know, beginning of the shutter season. So I think people are cautiously optimistic mm-hmm. you know we're, we're worried about what's going to happen this fall because obviously obviously if covid gets really bad things could, could go downhill mm-hmm. but right now the europe the tariffs tariffs being lifted in europe seem to help some um so we're just coasting right now and hoping things stay where they are yeah that was I, i'm i've been so curious about that like when i think about like cruise ships and vegas and sort of like all the restaurants all that market was made up for in like grocery sales. I can't yeah, believe yeah. it was all made up in grocery sales, but I it think a lot, I think a lot of um, processes put some stuff away, processed lobsters when they were earlier, when they were cheap and, and put them in inventory. And that took up the initial first glut. And this year hasn't been like a lot of lobsters. It hasn't been like lobsters are, you know, everywhere. As matter of fact, the last two or three weeks has been pretty slim all and down the main coast. People are really not catching that many lobsters. So I think they developed a market for it. And then I think lobsters got tight, you know, in the supply chain. So, and not as many people are lobstering as they usually are with not as many traps. I mean, a lot of people only set 400 traps, some set 600 traps. Um, some didn't even go, you know, the, the older people that didn't have to, a lot of them didn't even bother this year. So, that combined with everything else, I think, kind of cut the supply 
made it a little tighter than people thought. And so there has been a good, a fairly decent market. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, and that actually kind of leads me to my next question, which is just, is it ever hard to separate what you see and hear in the media about the lobster industry? Like, I feel like in general, and particularly this year, it's been a pretty sort of doom and gloom narrative. And I'm just curious how you reconcile that with your reality on the boat every day. I think it affects us more mentally than, than anything else. I mean, it's a drag, you know, to hear all the bad news all the time. And, um, you know, obviously in the beginning of the year, everyone was pretty much doom and gloom and was scared. You know, younger people that owed a lot of money were really scared, you know, and rightly so. Yeah. Um, but things turned out better than we expected. And I'm not sure what the answer is. I mean, I don't, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I don't think anyone knows. Maybe some, some of the dealers know where the product's going, but I haven't really heard what's going on. I just know they come every day to the co-op and they seem to want lobsters. Yeah. 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 My partner bought a 45 foot Young's brother going into this season and then the pandemic happened. So our household was definitely in that frame of mind or in the early spring. I just bought a new one this year. Not the brightest move during a pandemic, but I didn't know when I audited last year, it was going to be a pandemic. It turned out okay. So does he like his boat? He loves it. He fished the 38, like the slippery, whatever they call it, the one that kind of tumbles home a lot for years. I don't know, maybe 10 years and then just finally kind of upgraded. He bought this one off somebody on Swan's Island in the spring. I looked at that boat. Oh, you did? Yeah, I looked at that boat. The guy had it from Swan's. It had a, a Vecco 700 us in it. Yep. Yeah, he repowered it as well. So. Well, that's what I was going to do because I, I said, man, that thing looks scary. It was covered with rust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was. It was a big debate this spring whether to repower it or try and get through the season and he just went for it. Yeah, I looked at that boat, went for a ride on it, um, liked the boat. But I was just like, uh, and then I, then I went and decided and bought a brand new one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's cool. Are you, has it been a good season in it? Yeah, I, I love it. It's a 42 okay. Calvin. And uh, oh, so cool. it's wide. It's wide. It goes good. Yeah. It's, I love it. I wasn't, th I wasn't thinking I was being too smart though. At, at, <laughs> about, about April when I took delivery. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I think there was a lot of like nervousness, you know, just kind of across the board. Everybody was pretty unsure. So do you you sell to a co-op? Is that right? Yeah, Spruce Head Co-op. I've been selling there for years. I used to be independent. I had my own wall and I did that for like 10 or 15 years and it was just so much work. I, it just, for the extra 30 cents, it really wasn't worth it. You know, someone had to be there to get bait and you had to play the tides to get bait. You had to fuel there. We don't have a guy that owns the co-op. So a regular deal, if they own the business, has to take a profit. Mm -hmm. You know, if they own the business, have all the infrastructure, all the expenses, they, you know, they're going to take $150,000 off the top. Whereas a co-op, we break even on the bait we buy. We try to break even on the fuel we buy. We have our crew, which is an expense. And we have the facility, which we have to maintain as an expense. But all the, all the money at the end of the year, we, we hold back like a dollar a pound when we sell them. And so all that money minus the expenses goes back to the lobster on a per pound basis. So we usually figure we, we hold back a dollar across a quarter, you know, 20 to 25 cents to run it. So we get between 75 and 80 cents, depending on the volume as a, as a rebate at the end of the year. So cool. it's kind of a, like a savings plan that you don't really plan on. And so that's how it works. So the profit, every, all the expenses of the co-op, 
come out and then all the money that's left gets returned to the individual owners on a per pound basis. So okay. it's fair. And how many fishermen are members of the Spruce Head Co-op? About 50. Yeah, we have about 2 million pounds a year we, we catch, so. Um, and then you guys sell to a dealer and then the dealer has to find the end consumer for it? Yep, yep. Do you sell to one specific dealer or how does that? Some years we sell the three, some years we've sold the two. The last three or four years we've bid them up. You know, we have three mm -hmm. or four people and we bid them every day. You know, mm -hmm. whoever wants them, whoever pays the most gets them. But this year, I think we're sticking with one guy that had a promised us at the beginning of the year. He had a market for and he'd take all offices and pay us the best he could. And we made that deal. So this year we're, we're with one person cool. yeah, and it's been working out well. So as we're here talking about the lobster industry and its future, I wanted to take a quick break to share some exciting news about a new partnership between the Island Institute and Luke's Lobster. In an effort to help energize Maine's marine economy, we'll be working together to build new markets for Maine seafood. We'll be investing in clean energy and decarbonization and providing opportunities for our state's fishermen, aquaculturists, and for the blue economy. You can learn more at islandinstitute.org. And now back to Dave. So just kind of out of my own curiosity, I'm just curious, how old were you when you first started fishing? Well, when I started fishing full-time was when I graduated from college in 1980. And I obviously put myself through college lobstering, and I fished through high school, and I fished through junior high. So I've been fishing for a long time, but commercially mm -hmm. for about 40 years. Nice. Um, and actually, one thing I'm curious about is just how fishing has changed in your lifetime, both sort of like in terms of regulations and then also with like gear innovations, do you feel like it's harder to make a living now fishing or um, easier than it was in the eighties when you first sort of started commercially? Well, it's not an easy job. I mean, it's hard work. The technology has definitely made the job easier. I mean, back in the eighties, I had a compass and, you know, an old fathometer, you know, which was a flasher. So you had in the fog, it was, life was difficult. You know, because you had to go find your traps and then fall them down with a compass and in the fog, it's not that much fun. And we had wooden traps back then, so there were a lot of work. I mean, all went along, you patched wooden traps or built wooden traps. And so your time was totally consumed year round. When wire traps came in, it made the industry a lot more easier to live with because you didn't have to mess with them for seven or eight years. They didn't, the wood didn't break, the worms didn't eat it. And so, wire traps was great and then plotters and the electronics came and it was like it the plotters and the electronics have my on my boat now i could go 20 miles offshore in the dark or in the fog and come within 50 feet of my buoy i mean that's unbelievable we never had that before so in that respect life is easier obviously more expensive i mean back then my electronics consisted of a compass and a flasher i might have had 200 dollars you know, my electronics. Now I've got probably 15 to 20,000 mm -hmm. in electronics on the boat. Back then boat, my first boat, I think I paid $7,500 for. And this last one I paid a lot more than that. <laughs> <for. laughs> so yeah. um, things are different, but it's still, the business is still hard work. It, you don't go out and sit in the lawn chair and have a few beers and the lobsters jump in your boat. Mm -hmm. So you have to work hard. You have to have a reliable crew, which is 
challenging these days. And so it's, there's different challenges. Back in the 80s, it was you know, a storm. You could get wiped out because your traps would move and they'd get busted broken up and you know the wood wasn't as durable as wire i was pretty worried this last storm we just had last night that traps were going to move so monday i was moving traps but um i think think we dodged a bullet so i mean i think they moved some but not not bad it wasn't a catastrophe that's for sure nice well that's good um so my next question is about the future of the industry and i'm just curious you know what your thoughts are were well into dealing with this pandemic um we're well into dealing with this climate crisis. I'm just curious, you know, how you think about the future of this industry on which you depend on, you're clearly very invested in. I'm not, you know, confident that mm-hmm. every, this pandemic is going to go away in six months and things are going to go back to normal. I think it's going to not really go away till we get a vaccine and people have to buy into a vaccine. And that's looks like it's going to be a problem. So, you know, I don't know. Environmentally, yeah, climate change has, has brought us from 20 million pounds a year from, from before 1980 all the way through the century, you know, through the 1900s, we pretty much averaged 20 million pounds a year. We've quadrupled it. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, because of climate change, the water warmed up, the survival rate of the larvae was better. Um, more places in the Gulf of Maine were habitable for juveniles to grow up. So we've gone from 20 million pounds to over 100 million pounds. Uh, that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And we have good stewardship of the resource. We protect our acres. We protect our oversize. We have bio vents to let the little ones out. If the traps get lost, the vents open up and it doesn't kill lobsters. So I think we've done a real good job of, of stewardship in the industry. What's scary is as the water continues to warm, we're going to get to a point where it's too warm. And then this, the, the larval lobsters, the juveniles, that float in the water column for 30 to 40 days before they settle. If it, water gets above 67 to 68 degrees for any prolonged period of time, they die. Mm-hmm. And that's why Southern New England has no lobsters anymore. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't get a handle on this warming water, if it just keeps going in third, 20 or 30 years, we're going to have a, we're going to have a major problem. And mm-hmm. so that's why it is important to get a handle on climate change and to get the younger people and the older ones to understand that it's not a hoax, it's real, and you've benefited from it for the last 20 years. You may not in the next 40 or 50. I don't have mm-hmm. to worry about it, but I have three children, I have three boys at Lobster, mm-hmm. so they will. Mm-hmm. And so we, we as you know, stewards of the resource right now need to voice our concern and do what's right for the environment. Mm-hmm. And that means less carbon. Mm-hmm. And, and is this like something that your kids are thinking about and talking about? Like, are they thinking about diversifying from lobstering or any of that? Well, you know, they, they think about it, but they're in the your age bracket, you know, where mm-hmm. they're probably trying to make it all they can, pay the bills and working really hard, you know? So they're in a position of not having the time to deal with it too much. I mean, they're working all the time. Yeah, they think about it, but they're not doing that. It's, it's probably up to my generation that has made it, can have a little free time and need to be spokesmen about, about, the, about this. Yeah, it's definitely like a hard balance. I mean, it's something that we talk about too, like, oh, we should throw some kelp lines in this fall or oh, we should. And then it's like, when are we going to do this? Like it's, you know, 
he's hauling every day. I work a full-time job and it's, it's so hard to have that forward thinking that we should have. And then also like help developing those markets is a hard thing to think about taking on as well. Right. The, the kelp shows great promise. I mean, all aquaculture shows great promise, but you've got to have a market for it. Mm -hmm. And right now I think there's a bunch of people jumped in through the Allen Institute and through other people. I know four or five people around here that are doing it and they have to get an agreement with their buyer before you just can't throw lines out and have kelp call someone. Hey, I got some kelp. Come buy it. That's not mm -hmm. how it works. Mm -hmm. You have to buy the seed and then you have to have a contract with the, with the buyer to be able to take your product. Mm -hmm. And so until the market is developed and they have a more um, demand for the product, I really don't see kelp as being a boom for everyone. And the people that are in it right now, yes. I mean, they're, they're doing okay and they're, you know, figuring out how to do it better. I think it has great promise for the future, but you've got to develop the market to take the raw materials. It's promising, but in the immediate future, I think lobstering is where it's at as far as for the young, the majority of the young people on this coast. And so that's why, you know, it's important that we do everything we can, like V-notch all egg-bearing lobsters, and do everything we can to mitigate some of the loss that climate change might affect. So like if we, we can help it by helping more eggers and more females be able to reproduce, that's going to help you in the long run. Mm -hmm. And young kids have kind of gotten away from that ethic because we've done so well for the last 20 years or 15 years, and a lot of them have gone offshore mm -hmm. and they're busy. I mean, when they're out there catching lobsters, they got two crew and they're not notching eggers. They're not doing, I mean, oh, some are. Interesting. Yeah. Some are, but I know Kyle Wilson, who's a state bio lobster biologist for years, has said that the the rate of V-notch and eggers has dropped like 20 to 25%. That's alarming. You know, mm. we need to get the word out that folks, the reason you're doing so well lobstering is because my generation notched every egg-bearing lobster they saw for the last 40 years. And before us, the generation before us did it too. Mm -hmm. So you need to keep the pra practice up. Because as the biomass grows and you do have the same percentage of eggers, you have a lot more of them. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, if you've got... 50 million in the biomass, but now you've got 400 million in the biomass and 50% of the females are egged a notch, you've increased your egg production immensely. So yeah. you need, you need to do that. You, you know, we need to be good stewards of this resource. And that's one thing I, that worries me about the younger generation. They're not so in tuned to that as, as my generation was. I mean, it was beat into our heads that, you know, every egg a UV notch. Mm -hmm. Take the time to do it. Be careful. Put them back in the water upside down so they don't, you know, the eggs don't come off when you put them back in the water. Be gentle with them. That's your future. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I see some of these boats with two sturmen and lobsters are flying. Just, they're just throwing them off mm -hmm. just as fast mm -hmm. as they can. And they're not being that careful with eggs. And mm -hmm. that's, that's a bad thing. I mean, that, that's one thing this industry needs to correct itself. How do you, like, work on messaging that and correcting that? Like, is that, like, a like Captain Sternman, I don't know. Yeah, that's it. But as when we had the law, Maine Lobster Association did a great job. We mentored young kids and we brought them in and did a biology class with them and showed them all the, you know, just went through the whole life cycle of the lobster and how it can do it. So what, what we are trying to do is ed, bring young leaders in, you know, mm -hmm. to educate their peers. Mm -hmm. And we would taking them up to Prince Edward Island and taking them fishing out there. They'd have to go through an economics class on lobster and how dealers deal with the lobsters 
and the biology of the lobsters. And I think that was a great thing. And, you know, it takes money to do that, obviously. And we, we got funding to do it for three or four years. But with this stuff, every pandemic and everything, it's kind of gone by the wayside because you can't have meetings. You know, we used to have 40 kids in a room and have bringing guest speakers and show them everything. And now you can't do that. So mm-hmm. it, but it's important to do that. And education through, you know, outreach, or, um, news, you know, like the work in waterfront, uh, landings from the MLA, that paper, those are, those are where you need to have, you know, good stories that, that tell people you got it, you got to do this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you won't get to everyone, but if you get to some and they get to their friends, then it, it helps. Hmm. And that's interesting. That's definitely something that I haven't heard before um, about notching going down. And I feel like it's a very direct step that people can take to protect their fishery. Um, so my next question is just really about your short and long-term concerns. Um, I don't know if you fish through the winter or what your season is. I try to be done by December. Mm-hmm. So my concern is the market stays healthy for another six weeks mm-hmm. and then I'm going to just start thinking about picking up traps. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can get till the first week in November and everything's good because Canada is going to come on the third week of November with Southwest Novi, which is a big influx of lobsters in the market. So I just try to be done by then. You know, usually I don't get done till the end of December because of weather, mm-hmm. but I think if we can get six more weeks, if we can get to the first of November and the market stays where it is now, I think we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have, you know, people aren't going to be out buying snowmobiles and new trucks and all that, but they're going to get through the year, which mm-hmm. is at the beginning of the year, I was worried about getting through the year. So totally. I think, I think, you know, it's turned out okay, but if we could get six more weeks, that's my goal. Six more weeks of good market and fairly decent fishing. Mm-hmm. I think we'll be all right. So the, season in Nova Scotia or in Canada opens in the, in November. Yeah. Third, third week, third Monday of November, they open the season in Southwest Nova. And that's the biggest lobster producing area in Canada. So from then until new year's, they will catch 70 to 75% of their product in, in five weeks got it. and put it on the, and put a lot of it on the market. Okay. And so usually they hit, if markets are strong, the price usually isn't affected by us too much, but years when the market's not strong, the price can drop 50 cents for us, mm-hmm. you know, when they, when they come on. And so that's, a, that's always been a time for me personally, where I wanted to have, you know, my, enough money for the year by middle of November, mm-hmm. you know, and if I haven't made it by then, I'm probably not going to make it because the weather goes to hell and you're not going to get days out and, mm-hmm. you know, lobsters are drying up. So mm-hmm. So my last question, and I'm not sure how applicable this is to your industry and to your business, but my question is, in, in five years' time, looking back on this time, what do you hope will have come out of this sort of pandemic moment, both for you, for your business, and what ways will you have built resilience in, into what you're doing? Well, I think, you know, obviously everyone's trying to be as efficient as possible. So I put some efficiencies into my business that have saved me some money. Um, I think it's a good idea, but there's not a lot, there's not a lot more efficiencies that you can do. And I mean, you, you have to buy bait, you have to buy fuel, you have to have a boat and traps. You can be as efficient as you can in, in num- when you haul, letting your traps set for longer, um, that kind of 
thing, but you really can't change the bottom line a lot, mm-hmm. you know? So I think, you know, it's up to the individual to try to be, find little efficiencies that they can use and help them out. In a year like this, it, it can add up to a lot, mm-hmm. you know? When, I mean, a lot of people I know down East that have grossed a lot of money in the past, they're not gonna gross, they're gonna gross half what they usually do. So they're gonna have to like figure out a way to live on half what they've been making. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, every business is facing that, I think, in this pandemic, mm-hmm. pretty much. I don't think we're alone in that department. So, I mean, I think you have to look at what you spend your money for, how, how your lifestyle is. Can you cut back on this? Can you be more efficient? So it's, it's I think it's a good, that's a good thing that's come out of this. There's people yeah. looking at things like that. Not, not every resource is infinite. Yeah. So... Um, there are some good things that come out. I mean, you get more family time. Like we have our granddaughter, we have a two year old granddaughter that we watch four days a week and cause we don't really want to go to daycare. So my wife watches her and I help when I'm not hauling and it's fun. It's, yeah. It's been a great, great time. So that's something that might probably wouldn't have happened if this pandemic, you know, she'd probably gone to daycare, which mm-hmm. she was going last year, but everyone decided it would be better if she didn't. So, so that's, yeah. you know, there are some positives that come out of it. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, go enjoy the rest of your day with your granddaughter. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And please reach out at podcast.islandinstitute.org and let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, and maybe who I should talk to next. I also wanted to let you know about some upcoming small business workshops. We have a two-part marketing workshop that's on October 7th and October 14th, and that's with Shannon Kinney of Dream Local Digital. And then November 12th is S-Corp LLC Sole Proprietor, What's the Best Business Structure for You? And that workshop is presented by Justin Freeman, who's a CPA, and attorney Caitlin Ronan. You can check out all these events and more and register for them at islandinstitute.org backslash events. Also be sure to follow us on Spotify and that way you'll get notified when part two of this episode drops, which is my conversation with Merritt Carey of Luke's Lobster. And as always, you can subscribe to our Commercial Currents newsletter at islandinstitute.org backslash small business. That's our small business support newsletter. So you'll get our resources as well as info on all of our upcoming workshops and events delivered right to your inbox. And finally, this episode was produced and edited by Jack Sullivan and me. 